my friends to the Bob and Brad podcast. My name is Mike Keenitz, and today we are having Jordan back on, who is a nutritionist and a personal trainer, talk about the importance of protein for strong, healthy life. We're going to be talking about, first off, what protein is, how it helps with the body, and as we age, why it is important to consume it. So without further ado, here's Jordan. Welcome back to the show, Jordan. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I like how I always say us, but it's just me here. Maybe it's for the audience's sake. Right, right. (laughs) Anyway, today we are going to be talking about the importance of protein. So we're talking about the macronutrient protein and how it is important to have it in your diet. So the first question we have is, can you briefly talk about the three different types of macronutrients? Yes, absolutely. So for people who just aren't even aware of what macronutrients even means. So um, the three main types are carbohydrates, protein and fat. So we're just focusing on the uh, macronutrient protein today. Um, But all of these, um, just to kind of like clarify what they are, they all play a really critical role um, and importance in our body. Um, From a caloric perspective alone, carbs and protein both yield four calories per gram. And then fat is a little more calorically dense and it gives you about nine calories per gram. Total side note, Mike, but alcohol is actually seven calories per gram, complete empty calories for listeners who want to know. They don't give you anything else other than calories. So fun fact of the day. Um, Anyhow, so Carbohydrates in a normal functioning body and diet are our body's preferred and main fuel source of energy. I know you would probably beg to differ with that, Mike, being <laughs> in the keto world, but I'm talking for the normal, normal population. It is our body's main fuel source. Um, and then carbs specifically, not that I'm going to get too much into those, but um, there's a couple different types. They're divided into both simple and complex carbohydrates. So Uh, complex carbs just take longer for our body to break down. They also provide us with fiber. So you're going to get a complex carb from like your starchy vegetables, some fruits, um, legumes, whole grains, if you choose to include those. And then simple carbs are just really quick for our body to digest. Um, So like any just table sugar, honey, fruit juice, things of that nature. Um, And then fats are another macronutrient, again, that I'm not going to touch on today. Um, Fun fact, though, fats can also be used as a fuel source like carbs if your body's in the state of ketosis. Um, And then different types of fats, you can have either saturated or unsaturated fats um, as well. So again, just kind of breaking that down, there are different types of those. But I guess that's kind of the general overarching, like different types, if that answers your question. Yeah, so the three macronutrients you described, protein is the only one that's not really an energy source. It gets a little complicated, but we won't go through that today. It's a term called gluconeogenesis. But Right, right. Anyway, the next question we have is what role does protein play in our diet and why is it important? Um, so protein, which obviously we're focusing our entire conversation kind of moving forward on today, it provides the body um, with um, what are called amino acids which amino acids are the building blocks for our muscles, um, but not only our muscles, other structures in the body as well, um, our brain, our blood, our nervous system, skin, I'm probably forgetting some in there, but the main point is um, amino acids basically build our body, if you will. 
Protein does a ton, a ton, a ton of different things in the body. Uh, I couldn't even possibly touch on all of it. Um, but some of the main functions to kind of highlight, um, first of all, all of our, we're made up of cells as human beings and all of our cells and tissues in the body, protein helps to provide them with structure. It creates a little bit more strength within our cell walls. Um, and then proteins also help to maintain proper um, pH balance in our body. Super important. Um, protein actually does also um, aid in immune health. Um, protein helps to form antibodies that help us fight off infection. Um, I think I touch on this later in the podcast a little bit, but um, our protein needs when we are fighting off infections when we're sick is actually much higher. Um, unfortunately, that's not what our body craves when we're sick, but it's what we need. I don't know if you've noticed that when I'm sick, the last thing I want is a big steak, but that's what your body actually needs for healing. So um, what else? Protein. Oh, go ahead. What's that? No, I just said that's pretty interesting because everyone here is when you're sick, get vitamin C, not go eat a steak. Right, right. <laughs> which you need vitamin C too and other like micronutrients. But right. um, I think protein kind of gets left on the wayside in that whole healing and immune function. Um, it's something I don't even, I'm in the nutritional world and my brain isn't first to go there when I'm sick. It's like, oh, like let me up my vitamin C quick. But um, protein plays a huge role in immune health. So um, what else? What else didn't I touch on? Oh, protein also just helps um, to transport and store nutrients in the body as well. So I kind of, again, there's more functions than just that, but that talk could be a podcast in and of itself, but those are kind of some of the main ones that I can, to just kind of clarify there. Sure. So talking about protein more, how does protein help our bodies build and repair tissues? All right. So your body needs protein, um, for growth of our muscles, um, but also to maintain uh, muscle tissue. So under normal conditions in our body, our body breaks down approximately the same amount of protein that it uses to build and repair. Keyword there, under normal conditions. Um, however, other times in the body, it is actually breaking down more than it's repairing. If we're not increasing our needs. So I'll give you some examples of that. I already mentioned up above, if you've got an illness going on, your body is using more protein. Therefore, during times of illness or actually injury too, um, you need more protein. Um, some other times too, where this is the case, pregnancy and breastfeeding, your body is breaking down. So you just need more than um, if somebody just had surgery, that would be another um, time that kind of falls under the category, though, of kind of just being immunocompromised and healing and all of that. Also, um, athletes, um, just because of their the demands on their body, they're going to be breaking down uh, more um, older adults. Um, or just someone, not even athletes, but someone just following a very rigorous exercise and strength training routine. Um, so in these examples I've listed, it, that's a lot. It's a lot of people there. I would say um, a lot of people probably need a little bit higher. Not many people are going to, or a lot of people will fall into one of those categories at some point in their life, right? Um so in these examples, somebody's going to need to increase their dietary protein, like what they're actually intaking. Um, to ensure that their body is not breaking down more than it is than it's producing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I imagine the, like if you're breaking down more energy than you're consuming, I often think of the long distance marathon runner 
because yeah. many of them are very small because they're burning so much every day compared to a sprinter who is still running, but it's a lot less overall calories throughout the day. And a lot of them get enough protein in where you're burning, you know, two, 3000 calories every day. It's hard to replenish that amount. So that's why they're typically smaller framed. Well, and just, yeah, smaller framed. And if you notice just their muscular stature, like put a picture of a sprinter and a long distance runner side by side, like just their muscular stature is going to be way, way, way less. Um, because you know, your body's pretty smart. If you're not giving it the protein it needs, like it's going to find it somewhere and it's going to find in your muscle tissue. So it's going to break that down and use it. Yeah, it actually, that's how it gets it. Essentially, you don't eat it. It'll find it somewhere within your body. So, yep. So our next question. Pregnancy, you need your, the baby's going to take it first because the human body is insanely smart. Um, and so then therefore you're just going to suffer in your muscular structure, you know, uh, I think, and I'll get into more of the older adult population and what that looks like and why the needs are higher there. But yeah. Okay. So my next question is, can you explain the difference between complete and incomplete protein sources? Cause there's a difference. There is a difference. Um, so kind of taking a step back, I think to better understand this question, um, we need to know that there's actually 21 amino acids. Um, 11 of those our body makes and can make, but nine of those um, our body can't make. So the only way for us to get those is we have to consume them. We have to get them through our diet. Um, so complete proteins, um, give you all of the amino acids that your body needs. All right. So examples of complete proteins for simplicity purpose, animal sources. Okay. So any meat, seafood, eggs, um, milk would fall into this category. Um, those are going to be complete sources, meaning they contain all 21 amino acids. Um, so you eat a steak, you don't have to worry about, did I get the right amount of amino acids? Like it's there, right? Um, there are a couple plant sources that will give you, um, a, or that are a complete protein source. Um, and there might be a few more than this, um, but the ones that I know of for sure are quinoa and edamame. So for any vegans or vegetarians listening, um, you wouldn't necessarily need to like worry about pairing something with that, if that makes sense. Um, now, incomplete sources provide some, but not all of the amino acids that we need. So a lot of things fall in this category, like vegetables even fall into this category because vegetables have trace amounts of protein, but it's not complete protein. Um, same with like nuts and seeds. There's protein in them, but again, not complete. Um, grains, beans, lentils, like a lot of vegetarians will use beans, um, like black beans for a protein source. Um, sure, that's great, but if you just eat black beans, you're not you're not getting a complete protein there. Like you need to pair that with something to ensure your body's getting all the amino acids so that it can actually use it. So is each plant protein, since most of them are incomplete, besides the ones you mentioned earlier, is that how they kind of have to be strategic to make sure they get some amino acids from one, say, lentil source, and then they need to get some other protein sources from, say, a soy source or something? Yes, yes. That's why you'll see like, like a rice and bean dish commonly, because if you pair rice and beans together, a lot of time, like a grain and a bean, like that gives you all of your um, essential amino acids. So like oh. pairing things together is kind of the key in like the vegetarian and vegan world, which I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan. Um, however, 
there is a way to do it in a healthful way. But the unfortunate part, which why is why I kind of, from a nutritional standpoint, tend to sometimes remain biased against it is because people don't do their research and do it correctly. And then it can be really dangerous when you're not um, getting all of those amino acids, because although it might look like on paper or whatever app you're using, you're getting your protein needs. But if you're not eating them complimentary and at the same time um, with each other, like it can be problematic. Sure. I think a side note here um, too, Mike, in this conversation, because collagen is kind of a hot nutritional supplement. Um, that's not a complete protein. Really? Yeah. So I actually will tell people like if you're going to, and I actually, I do use collagen, um, some like a collagen powder. Like I only do it if I'm going to put it in a smoothie with some, a lot of other things going on in there. Like I never would just drink collagen. Like a lot of people like just drink collagen in their coffee and move on. Um, it's not going to hurt you, but I feel like you're not getting like the full intended benefit from it then. Most supplements typically label their amino acids that are in it, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah I thought. So you have yeah. to count to see if there's 21 of them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Uh, next question is how much protein should the average person consume daily? And does this amount vary depending upon your age or activity level? We kind of talked about this a little, but we'll get more specific now. Yeah, we'll give some people some numbers. Now, before I, of course, with nutrition, and you know this, Mike, there's no such thing as a black or white answer. And if no. somebody gives you a black and white answer, like, I'm sorry, you should look at that with a little skepticism because there's so much individuality when it comes to it. But I'm going to at least give you guidelines and starting points because I think a lot of people could benefit from at least knowing what their minimum threshold level is because there are probably some people out there that are, are not getting that. Um, so basic, very, very basic guidelines um, in general sense, the um, RDA, so recommended dietary allowance is 0.8 grams per kilogram of your body weight. If you're like, what does that even mean? I like giving examples because it just makes more sense to me. So the calculation I did, I'm just using a 150 pound individual, okay? So you gotta get their weight into kilograms. So there's 68 kilograms. You're taking that number times 0.8. This would mean in order to just maintain so that you're not like literally sitting there wasting away, they would need 55 grams of protein. Now, for someone like you, that might sound like crazy low, but I'm talking, this is the person who is pretty sedentary. They don't fall into the category of older adults, like 60 plus, they're not pregnant, they're not immunocompromised, like just a normal sedentary 35 year old. Like this, this is the amount not to gain muscle, but just to like, make sure that they're not wasting away. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um. This is bare minimum, I would call it. Now, to give you a little better idea, for those who are participating in any type of strength training programs, any athletes, um, your knees are going to automatically increase because you, when you're strength training or working out, right, your body's going to break down muscle tissue. So you need to replenish it. Um, that, your knees are going to up to about 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram. So in this same individual that's 150 pounds in this example, they would need to get anywhere between 80 to 135 per day. Now, Mike, the big, huge range there is just because of the fact that everybody's activity levels is going to be very different, right? Like 
it's hard to answer that. That's why you got to, if you want to get really specific, you need to work with like a uh, nutritionist on this, but um, at least it gives you kind of a ballpark range of like where you want to be hitting. So you do kilograms and I've always heard grams. Why, where are you doing kilograms? Oh no, the body weight is in kilograms. Oh, okay. Not, Not the protein. So like, to get, so my calculations, the, like, when I talked about the athletic or exercisers, I said 1.2 to two grams of protein per kilogram of your body weight. So all, all you're doing is you're taking your body weight, you're getting it into kilograms. So if you're 200 pounds, I don't know how much you weigh. I'm also 185. 185. So you can take 185 and divide it by 2.2. That's going to give you your weight in kilograms. And then you need to take your weight in kilograms times whatever, 1.5, if you want to go right down the middle of that. Does that make sense? And that's how many grams of protein. I've always heard that you take your body weight and times it by grams of protein. So if you weigh 185, you should shoot for 185 grams of protein. Oh, that would be a, a lot. I mean, that's, I guess that's on the upper end, like very, very upper end of, um, I'm trying to think, even in the example that I gave of the upper end of things, that 150 pound person would be at 135 grams per day. Yeah, I think it might be per lean body mass. Yes, I have heard that equation before. This is usually just more accessible for people because most people know their weight in pounds, Mm -hmm. right? Most people don't know unless you have some way to measure um, you don't know your lean body mass, right? But yes, I think, I think you're right in that example. Yeah. Cause that's what I used to hear. Cause I, I mean, I eat 185 to 200 plus grams a day most days. Yeah. I also don't eat carbohydrates. So it's pretty easy for me to just Very protein fat to get that in there. Yeah. But I, I will tell you just that I've worked with a lot of, a lot of people, just me saying a number like, okay, so 150 pound person, that's not a huge individual, right? Um, and me telling them, I'd like to see them hit a minimum of 100 grams of protein in a day. Their jaw drops to the floor. Like, that is hard. I mean, imagine if you were filling your diet like most people do and, and very carbohydrate rich. Like, it's going to be hard to fit 100 grams in because you're filled up off other stuff. So if you're thinking about increasing your protein and you never have before, you can slowly increment throughout the weeks. So you don't have to go all in at once. Right, right. This will allow your body and your digestive system to get more acclimated to it, pretty much. Right, right. And the and everything I, I gave to is, it's all in ranges, right? It doesn't have to be this perfect equation. If you don't hit 130 grams today, like it's a range. Um, I always work with people on and give them ranges because every day is going to be a little bit different. Um, but always knowing what your bare minimum is, I think is super helpful, um, and remembering like what I talked about in the question you asked me a couple questions ago, like there are different times in our life where our needs are going to increase. So automatically, I think it's right around like, um, the older, I'm sorry to put people in this category, but for lack of a better word, we, we're just going to call it the older adult population, 65 plus your needs are automatically going to go up. Whether you're an exerciser or not, our body just doesn't as efficiently, um, use, utilize protein. So you have to get more, um, during illness, during recovering from surgery, major injury, injury, excuse me. Um, so just 
some of these numbers I gave, remember your current lifestyle, your current life circumstances, your ages are all going to impact what that might look like. Yeah. Oftentimes if they're malnourished on protein, it leads to sarcopenia. Yeah. Yep. So we do want to give some more options for vegetarians and vegans. So what are some good protein sources for them? I know we mentioned it a little bit already, but do you have any more specifics on that? Yeah, I can give some more specific examples. Um, also, vegetarians, vegans, there's great variance within this category because some vegetarians will eat eggs. Some will not eat eggs. Um, so, you know, of course, there's some um, vegetarians that, you know, you're going to be able to probably get your protein needs by just really focusing on eggs and maybe dairy products, if that's a part of your diet, because those are going to at least be complete sources. But um, speaking more specifically to somebody who might be more on the plant-based side of things, um, I already said this, but quinoa and edamame were the, were the two that I found to be complete protein sources. Otherwise, really focusing on what's called complementary proteins. I already talked about this earlier, but um, it's that pairing of two foods together that can complement one another to give you your complete amino acid profile. So, um, although I'm not necessarily um, promoting these from a nutritional standpoint that they're like the most nutrient dense, rich meals on earth, I am from a complete standpoint of science. Do these meals have all 21 amino acids? Yes. So some examples would be um, rice and beans. I mentioned that already. Um, a peanut butter sandwich on whole wheat bread. Um, any kind of beans in general, again, with nuts or seeds. An example would be like if you ate a salad that had chickpeas, which would be in that legume category, and then some sunflower seeds in it. That would be a complete protein source. And then any other like bean or nut combo should give you that too. I do have a friend that is vegetarian and his wife is vegan and his, his go-to when his wife is gone, or I think for, or for when he's at work is the peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> That's I, what he does. From a technical standpoint, and it's going to, again, I said, I can't promote it from like a, cause I'm a, I'm a whole foods nutritionist. So I, I just have a little, but I also respect anybody's, um, you know, dietary choices. And there are just, there are responsible ways you can be a plant-based eater and irresponsible. And it's my job too, to also educate on, on that. So um, really focusing and learning more about complementary proteins would be my best advice. If you are vegan and want to make sure you're getting enough protein, I think it's a little easier as a vegetarian, to be quite honest, just because you have more options if you fall in that category. But um I don't know if I missed anything else. I talked about beans, lentils, nuts, seeds, but just making sure that they're paired together, I think is the big, big takeaway here. Sure. So hopefully that's helpful. So how does protein consumption change as we age and why is it important? We talked about it a little bit, but we didn't get in detail. Yes. Um. So it goes without saying we're all aging. Like. <laughs> Right now we are, we're all aging. Um, and if we can't remember the exact age, and maybe you've heard this stat before, but I think it's around age 30, 30 that muscle mass mm-hmm. Yeah, 30 or 35, somewhere in there, but anyways, side note there. So, um, but as we age, um, in that older adult category, usually around 65 and older for most people, 
we're actually less responsive to amino acid intake. So that's kind of the scientific background behind why we need more. Um, so our body's just, is less responsive to it. Therefore, we need to increase our levels of protein in our diet to ensure that we're actually getting enough because our body just doesn't utilize it as efficiently anymore. Um, so actually older adults, what if you're an exerciser, it's going to be even higher than this, but somebody older adult 65 plus who's not a, into strength training, you're going to want to follow that equation that I gave for like athletic um, build people or strength trainers. So 1.2 to 2 grams per kilogram um, of your body weight is what you'd want to be focusing on um, to ensure that you are at least maintaining um, muscle mass and not continuing to lose because it can actually be quite concerning in the older adults population. And for whatever reason, our appetite starts to suppress as we get older too, for a lot of people, but yet we need to eat more. So that's, it's tough <laughs> to get a little bit more creative. Yeah. It's counterintuitive. It's um, it doesn't seem like a very helpful, um, mechanism. Our body. a mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, I believe it's 3035. You start losing muscle mass or becomes harder um, as we age. And then definitely as you're older, because I mean, I can most people can imagine their parents or grandparents and seeing their progression as they've aged. And like my dad's going to be 70 soon. And he's he's a smaller guy, but he had much more muscle mass, you know, when I was smaller compared to now. And he's he's still very active. It's not like he's sedentary, but yeah, I, I could tell. Imagine his build if he weren't active, though, what he's going. I mean, that's why sometimes you're seeing, you know, 70 year olds in a nursing home and non-functional, because if you don't, it's, it's a simple equation. If you don't do anything, if you don't use your muscles, like you're going to lose them. It's just it's the way it goes. Yeah. I mean, you can for listeners, you can compare yourself to your siblings and compare the life too, because my brother is four years older than me and me, our physiques are complete like opposite mm -hmm. and I eat tons of protein and he doesn't, but right. Right. And we should mention in this conversation, you can't just eat a bunch of protein as you're aging and expect to maintain your muscle mass. You actually also have to like use your muscles too. Yeah. That, that's a little different. We're, we'll stick to the protein part for this. Podcast. <laughs> right. Right. So can you talk about the benefits of protein for older adults, kind of like we did, particularly in terms of maintaining muscle mass and bone density? Yes, yes. Um, so this is where I have this is where I have notes on this. Yes. So we it's estimated we lose three to five percent of our muscle mass each decade. So every 10 years after age 30. So if you did nothing starting at age 30. By the time you turn 40, you have lost up to 5% of your muscle mass. Now, I'm not saying you're going to do that, Mike, because you actually exercise, but like for people who aren't like strength training and doing weight bearing exercise. Um, so, um, but that's me getting into exercise. We weren't going to do that today. So let me, <laughs> let me take a step back. But, um, it, you know, protein kind of comes into the same conversation too, though, because if we're not getting adequate, pro adequate protein, like I said, our body is pretty smart. Um, and it's going to find the protein and where is protein stored? It's stored in our muscles. So it's, um, in simplicity terms, it's going to break down your muscle fiber to access the protein. And therefore we're going to lose muscles if we're not intaking enough in our diet for a body to utilize. Sure. Yeah. So. 
let me get into my part here about the bone density oh, yeah. because I threw that in last minute for you. <laughs> so according to studies, protein plays an essential role in bone health and density, and a person should ensure they have enough protein in their diet. So a study involving 1,440 people, 44 people that were postmenopausal participants found that those who ate an increased amount of protein saw a boost in their overall bone density. So if you're worried about osteoporosis or you have more brittle bones, protein also helps with that. Specifically, now I always hear collagen helps with that, but you were telling me it was incomplete. So I'm assuming you still need all 21 amino acids. Yes. And it's not to say collagen's bad, but just as a, if I could offer a tip to people that are spending their money on collagen, Maybe don't just like put it in a thing with water, shake it up and drink it, like have it with a meal, even like drink it on the side of a meal. Cause I can guarantee there's probably something in your meal. If you're eating a pretty clean diet, that's going to complete that. What are sources of collagen? So I know eggshells and I know, well, bones, <laughs> um, a lot of the powders, some of them are actual animal bones grounded up, but what are yeah. like, there's plant sources. What are plant sources? Oh, Oh, I don't know that, you know, my the big one that I always go to like with this, because I do know some, sorry for people if this grosses you out, but some companies too, too make it out of like the skins of chicken. Like people, a lot of times will buy, like I never buy boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Like that is a waste of money. They charge you way more and you're throwing away the best part of the animal. Like I always buy bone in skin on chicken thighs because you automatically get collagen if you eat the skin. Um, plant sources of collagen. I should, I feel like I should know this. I don't even know. So I, this is a little different. It's amino acids that help build collagen in your body. Oh, so yeah. I'm reading it right now and it says protein sources from, so it includes some animal products, but then it says soybeans okay. and then spirulina. 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 That's spirulina. not saying directly that that's a source of collagen. It just helps to build collagen. Yeah, it has the amino acids, proline and lysine, which uh, work with vitamin C and formation of collagen, it says. So, okay. Yeah. I guess up those products if you want to have some collagen, if you're a plant based person. Mm -hmm. If you're a plant based person and you know way more than us on this part, you could feel free to comment down below. We're not ashamed to say we don't know. So we'll get in our next question. How does protein intake affect weight loss or weight management? So, yeah, so a couple um, mechanisms of action here that is how this might work. Um, first of all, um, just makes you feel more full and satisfied. Um, in the, just try it sometime. Um, but it helps to regulate key hormones in this process. So it actually protein um, increases levels of appetite reducing hormones, and then it reduces levels of ghrelin, which is our hunger hormone. So automatically, it's not literally, there's like actual things going on with hormones in our body that's making it so that we don't want to overeat if we have adequate protein. So with this being the case, how does this help with weight loss or weight management? This is auto automatically going to lead to a reduction in our overall caloric consumption. Because if, if our levels of, um, like our um, hormone that make us hungry are going down, like we're not going to want to eat as much. It's simply, simple equation there. So regulating hormones that regulate our appetite, if you will. Yeah. Um, 
And then another mechanism by which protein can help too with weight loss is through thermogenesis. So your body actually um, burns calories while breaking down protein. Like it's a more metabolically active process in our body than breaking down like something like a banana. It's very, very easy, but we actually are burning calories. It just requires more energy for our body to break down protein in our GI tract. Um, it's not like a huge, huge impact, um, but it's something I think that it's at least worth mentioning. Um, and just honestly, just makes us feel more full longer. So we just don't want to overeat. I think that's the biggest way that it can um, impact and help somebody with weight loss. Yeah, it takes longer to break down and digest. It doesn't sit there and rot in your intestines like some <laughs> propaganda people like to say. Yeah, they say hunger is really controlled by protein because the mechanisms in your brain, first things they want are amino acids typically. And once they get satiated in amino acids, there's essential fatty acids your body wants, so it'll crave it too. Once you meet those standards, you're probably going to be full or satiated. So that's why, you know, say you eat chips. Chips have very low amounts of protein in them. They have some fats, but they're different types of fats. Right. Um, that's why you can eat a whole bag of chips. You try yep. to eat, you eat some type of meat source, you get sick of eating it after a while and you're yeah. not hungry. You're like yeah. you, you're, you're satisfied, you're satiated. It, it to me, yeah, the, the, the sweet mechanism is different because it has to do with the brain connection to the gut and it's different cravings you eat. So don't like eat a bunch of protein and then eat a cookie after because it's going to get your appetite going again. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But yeah, so sometimes it's really as simple as like for, and it's also a crowding out method too. This isn't scientific by any means, but like, and what I mean by crowding out too in the diet is, you know, replacing foods with, with protein. You're naturally, you can only eat so much in a day, right? Well, yeah, I guess we, <laughs> I should say, I, I should be careful with how much I, I say that, but um, you know, you can crowd other bad things out <laughs> in your diet by replacing it with protein. Uh, yeah. Cause when it comes to protein, protein itself does not taste good. Think of a chicken breast with nothing on it, not cooked in any butter or anything or skin. It doesn't taste very good. The fat is satiating part and tastes good in pr most protein sources, animal based anyway. So you get sick of eating protein after a while. Cause it's just not flavorful right so right. yeah that's part of that okay so my last question is can can consuming too much protein be harmful to our health so i would argue that too much of anything in the nutrition world or food group can be like there can always be too much of a good thing you could consume too much kale i've done that before it's awful don't ever <laughs> do that one time i ate an entire thing of like, you know, you buy it in a bunch of the store. <laughs> yeah. This was back in college. And I, cause it, and I cooked it. So when you cook it down, like it doesn't Great. look like very much. Yeah. Oh, I was so sick. So much fiber. So my point is I'll get back to the protein thing, but there can always be too much of a good thing. Water is amazing for you, but you can drink too much water. So yes, too much protein over time can be harmful to your health. If I eat 300 program or grams of protein today. Um, am I going to die? No, it's not, it's not that, but a more of a compound effect over and over. Um, so there's not, I didn't find at least like a ton of direct risks, um, to your health, but, 
Um, like one thing that can happen if you continually get way too much protein in excess, you can get your higher risk for developing kidney stones. Never had one, but apparently it's terrible. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, I've seen studies that have done the opposite where they've looked at it actually like in randomized controlled trials versus um, what's the other term I'm looking for? There's randomized controlled trials, which are a, so instead of a basic study, that's a questionnaire observational study. Okay. Um, yeah. A lot of those people will try to link certain things. So excess protein consumption can lead to kidney stones based off food frequency questionnaires. Oh, sure. Uh, it's not, it's correlational. It's not causational. That's okay. What I was looking for. I've seen causational studies where they actually do it and they didn't see any Nothing like that. No, they didn't okay. see any harm or. Well, scratch that then. It, it's yeah, it kind of varies. It's not a very good. Uh, there's not a lot of good research on it, but yes, I I would imagine if you eat a re if I How ate like 400 it? grams of protein a day, there'd probably be some negative. For effects. a year, that's what I just I honestly might like when I was looking at this question, like I can there's some short term things like. You got to make sure you drink enough water because you drink, if you eat way too much protein, like it can lead to dehydration. But I feel like that's with anything. Um, it can cause like digestive upset and issues, um, especially if you go from eating 50 grams a day to 200 grams. Like, yeah, you're probably going to have some digestive upset. Um, but that's like with changing anything in the diets that can happen. So, I, to be quite honest with you, I, I dug into this one because I didn't know off the top of my head. I assumed like, because with anything, like there's always too much of a good thing, but I didn't find any tangible evidence of like, here's what's going to happen. Um, some people say you're going to, you're higher risk of develop, developing cancer and other diseases like that. But those are the same people that tell you meat is bad. So. Well, it, yeah. And it's epidemiology <laughs> research, which is right. just food frequency questionnaires and theories and correlational data but have, yeah it's you eat a lot of protein have you had anything no i haven't had any issues i had more issues when i had too much fiber <laughs> yes yes well That's, my kale example see i was so sick yeah and you also it's really hard to overeat protein because you get so sick of eating it <laughs> like you like i said try to eat as much chicken breast as you can and nothing else you're gonna get very sick of eating it like it's oh. it's very satiating and fulfilling so you don't want to eat more like you're just tired of it so that's why i think it's hard to overconsume. mother you can't ever go wrong with like what nature's food is providing you because you're probably not going to overeat it you like it's food manufacturers you have to be scared of because they know just the right there are people this is a total side tangent, but they have equations of like how they create the right feel with the feel in your mouth, the right amount of sugar versus salt versus fat equations to make us want to just eat and eat and eat. Now, nobody's doing that with a chicken breast. You, can't, you know, you can't no. do that. So the body, like when like most, like I said, I'm a whole foods nutritionist. Like I don't even really talk about calories with people. Like people always ask me that. Like if you are sticking to this food list, I'm suggesting you're not going to overeat. It's pretty tough, pretty tough to overeat when you're staying away from packages. So. Yeah. And even I, I you, you can kind of argue like processed meat things you can possibly overeat, you know, cause they are a little more flavorful. Like if you're thinking of like, some deli meats or 
beef jerky. I don't know. Beef jerky gets really salty after a while. Just, but... but still after a while, I feel like I can only eat so much of that. Yeah. Like sure. eggs. Like, I mean, I can, eat, I can eat a good amount of eggs, but like after a while, like if I were to sit down and like try to choke down 10 fried eggs, there's no way. Like I would just, <laughs> ugh. After, you know, after so many, you just, yeah, yeah it's just your body's, it's smart. It's smart that way. That's why whole foods is always a better option. But anyways, yeah. So I, I didn't necessarily find anything directly um, that was like eye-opening alarming, unless you had anything to add that would be a massive concern. And I think the risk of overconsumption is pretty low. So yeah. It's hard to do that. Are there any other remarks or things about protein you would like to add that I did not ask? Um. I don't think so. I feel like I pretty much touched on everything that I feel is important. I'll probably think of something when we're done, but no, I think that's, I think that's everything. The only thing I would like to add is look what other nutrients are coming with your protein sources because micronutrients are very important in your diet as well. So a protein powder isn't going to be as nutrient dense as like say a lean steak or something. Right. There's, There's a lot of different things to look at besides just protein numbers. Well, and you mentioned now you just said protein powder. We went through this entire podcast without talking about protein powder once. And I can guarantee there's somebody listening here that is thinking, what's the best protein? Like you guys didn't talk about protein powders. I guess I didn't include it because I don't know if you're a protein powder guy and there's nothing against you if you are. I've used them before. Um, Sometimes I have them on hand depending, but I maybe consume a scoop of protein powder like twice a month, if that. Like I'm not, I'm just not a big proponent. I think there's a lot of garbage ones on the markets. Um, I have yet to find a really good, clean protein powder. I think they can be good for like certain examples, like when you're ill and you can't eat anything because it all is gross to you, you know, Um, or maybe that aging population that has trouble um, getting down a lot of protein. There can be uh, roles that it might play in the human diet. But for a general, general population, healthy person that does eat meat, I just, I don't, it's not necessary. I think it's overpriced and you can get a lot more bang for your buck just eating good quality meat. Yeah, I found them beneficial if I'm traveling with other people because you don't always know where you're going to be eating. Yes. yes. And I would say also, I have them now still, but I don't, I don't drink a protein shake. I use it as something that is sweet to like put in yogurt or something else since I don't really eat sweet things in my diet that's like my sweet thing (laughs) so if I have a sweet tooth it's like oh protein powder and that's 10 times better than what you could be reaching for and and the only time I use it is like a smoothie when I I want a protein source in that um and I'm not uh to the point where I want to crack crack raw eggs in my smoothie I know some people do that it's just it's not my thing um so to me it's a, a quick easy source of and I don't do much for dairy so I don't I wouldn't do like Greek yogurt in there again it's dietary preferences so I find a role sometimes but if somebody's relying on that as their sole source of protein I just there's better options out there yeah my my go-to snack when I was eating carbs and everything was like I liked ice cream most people do yes. now to replace that palatability if i want something like that it's just greek yogurt protein powder and a few berries there like, you go. It, it's yeah. the same texture and it's sweet and it's 
tons less calories and it's super low carb for me in a type right. of thing. So that's Although if I were hard. really wanting ice cream, I'm trying to picture, is that going to do it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the hard cravings anymore. Right. Right. So, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. And we will do something next time. Sounds good.